The Read to Lead Podcast, Episode 36. Hi, I'm Ryan Avery, co-author of the book Speaker Leader Champion, Succeed at Work Through the Power of Public Speaking. And while he may have placed last in virtually every competition he's been in, he'll always be a champion in my book. It's Jeff Brown and the Read to Lead Podcast. My simplest quote that I've ever come up with for success is that uh, success doesn't necessarily mean more money. Success means being able to say no to whatever you want to say no to. Welcome to the Read to Lead podcast with Jeff Brown. Jeff believes that if you desire to achieve true success in business and in life, then consistent and intentional reading is a must. The Read to Lead podcast will not only help you narrow this ever important reading list, but also bring you key insights and valuable feedback from some of today's most successful and inspiring authors. And now, here's Jeff. Thank you, Joy. Welcome to the podcast dedicated to your personal and professional growth. We're going to sit down with another successful and inspiring author this week and talk about his latest book. In fact, it's not even out yet. In fact, I don't even have a copy of it yet. What? More on that later. His name is Chris Brogan, making his return visit. In fact, the first ever author to make a return visit to the Read to Lead podcast. His new book is called The Freaks Shall Inherit the Earth, Entrepreneurship for Weirdos, Misfits, and World Dominators. I don't know about you, but it sounds right up my alley. And in today's episode, Chris will share what he means when he says people don't care about what you know. He'll also talk about how he defines success and what it means to worship your obstacles and challenges. And I will learn when attributing a quote to someone, it's best not to try and do it from memory. You'll see what I mean in just a bit. That and more from Chris Brogan in today's edition of the Read to Lead podcast coming up in just a moment. I want to remind you quickly that Podcaster Academy is opening up again for registration in time for April. If you or someone you know is about to launch or has recently launched a podcast, then this course is for you. It's taught online, live in four modules, and there's one-on-one coaching included with me personally as well. If you'd like to find out more about it, readtoleadpodcast.com slash academy, and then use the discount code READ, that's R-E-A-D, for $100 off your registration. Again, that's readtoleadpodcast.com slash academy. Chris Brogan is publisher of Owner Magazine and CEO of Human Business Works, dedicated to growing the capabilities and connections of owners and professionals. He is also a contributing editor to Success Magazine with two cover stories and counting over there. Chris is a New York Times best-selling author of books like The Impact Equation and Trust Agents, co-written with Julian Smith, Social Media 101, Google Plus for Business, and two self-published books, It's Not About the Tights and Superheroes in the Basement. He's appeared in several magazine and news articles for Forbes, The Boston Globe, Success, USA Today, and has appeared on TV shows like The Dr. Phil Show. His brand new book, due out very, very soon and available for pre-order now, is called The Freaks Shall Inherit the Earth, Entrepreneurship for Weirdos, Misfits, and World Dominators. Well, welcome back, Mr. Brogan. Thank you. You have the distinction, Chris, of being the first ever uh, return guest. Uh, So uh, I guess congratulations are in order, maybe? I'll take it. I'm totally into that. I love being a return guest. Awesome. Awesome. Well, and something else that that is a little bit unusual about this scenario uh, that I need to confess is for the first time since I launched my podcast, I'm, I'm bringing in a guest who has a book coming out that I have not yet read. And so if you're thinking, wait a second, Jeff, you're supposed to be vetting these books for me, these, these five-star books and five-star authors, what do you think you're doing? Well, 
obviously we've got a little bit of, of a history with with Chris. He's been on the show before of his previous uh, uh, six books. I think I've read five. I've followed uh, Chris's uh, blog and his career since I guess, gosh, what, 2008 or something like that. So so Chris, I'm going to have to lean on you a little bit in the sense that that uh, I don't have it in my hands just yet, but I'm excited uh, to talk about it. And before we get into that, I want to know how do you find the time to do all that you do with Human Business Works, Owner Mag, writing books, helping people as you do, and respond to stupid tweets from the likes of people like me? Well, I, because I put those sort of in reverse order of importance, I think of talking to you as the most important thing, and then I do those other things. But you know, it's uh, there's two there's two things to say in there. So one is how do you get all that work done? Is it's really intense discipline. I mean, it's it's no fun. Jack and I have this thing all the time. My girlfriend Jacqueline and I about, you know, if we ever just told everybody the truth, the truth is the most boring way to tell the story because what everyone wants to say is, you know, you can lose 30 pounds eating ice cream every day and it's going to be great. Uh, but the real truth is, you know, you got to get up at 4am and get to the gym and you've got to eat a lot more asparagus than you ever used to eat or whatever. And the same is true with business. So I work hard uh, and I do it on a very repeat level and I work when you're not working and I work while you are paying better, not you, but people are paying better attention to game of Thrones. <laughs> and, you know, while you're watching a show and wondering which dragon type you should be, I'm writing another book. So that's how I get it done. But, but the other part of the story, Jeff, and, and what you said at the end, I'm baffled that so many companies think that the people that they have the opportunity and the honor to serve are a nuisance or that they're the thing that you're supposed to find time for. Mm. That's why there's a business. I have no business without you. So why would I ever make you the lowest thing on my priority list? So I'm, I'm, I just don't know how other companies make their money. And you know what? Some months I don't make my money. I'm still thrilled that I have these connections because I will have money long after those other guys are gone uh, because I'll always have relationships that will mm. uh, be worth it. And I guess one of the things that that uh, uh, is, is so impressive in all that is is the speed with which that happens. Sometimes, I, you know, I I send out a tweet and say, "Hey, uh, uh, Chris, I hear you got a new book coming out. I'd love to have you back on the show." And within sixty seconds, you know, you're responding to that that tweet. And so, uh, the, you just don't see that every day. I mean, I can't do that, and I don't have near the things going on that you do. You know, the the way that people do it, I mean, I, I practiced something that I came up with back in like 2006 or so called time quilting. And basically, quilts exist. So besides being an art form, quilts exist because people on farms would have fabric that had finally, you, you just couldn't wear the shirt anymore. Uh, it was sinful. And you would just take bits of the fabric and make some of it into rags and some of it into bits that you just didn't know what to do with. You'd sew those all together, um, put a wool blanket against it, and you'd have a quilt. And that's how you stayed warm on a cold winter's night. And so basically the concept that nothing was ever wasted. So I do that with time. So I might be, I don't know, in the bathroom and I might, you know, flip open Twitter or I might be in line at the grocery store waiting instead of looking at people or, or once I check, let's not lie, once I check people and us to see who's, you know, divorcing and who's with who, um, then I, you know, go back on social and whatever. So I quilt my, my time very uh, effectively so that I have more time to uh, be available for the people I have the pleasure and the honor to serve. Well, I love the title of the new book, The Freaks Shall Inherit the Earth. Who are the freaks, Chris? Who, who is this book for, in other words? 
First off, it's for people who just feel like they've, they haven't quite fit in before. And I think there's a lot of us who have been told, you must go sit in this cubicle and do this job exactly the way everyone else would have ever done it. And every time you'd ask a question and say, well, why is this done this way? They'd say, because this is how it's always been done. Shut up. <laughs> and I think anyone who's ever really chafed against that is a freak. And that's most every human. But believe me, it turns out it's not all of us because there's a lot of people who are like, well, I guess that's how it's done. And then on another side, to me, there's this whole concept of like the rise of personal business. And to me, the freaks are the people... Who could, who could really easily fill in the blank, I'm obsessed with, or I would consider getting a tattoo about. And if you can answer that question without much hesitation, mm. you're kind of a freak too, because <laughs> you're, you're a person who's like freaky for something. So Jeff, for instance, I talked to my friend, Sam Collagione, who runs Dogfish Head Brewery. If I say to Sam, why is this beer like, who cares? You make like 60 different types of beer, but they're all just beer, whatever, who cares? Why is this beer any good? He will talk to you about how he traveled to Egypt and how he found this kind of hops and how on one side of the road in the marketplace, the hops was better than the other side of the road because of the way the sun slanted. And so he figured out which guy to buy it from. And then it started going bad again. And he went back again and the guy had changed booths with the other guy thinking it was a better deal. And so like that level of obsession over beer, Sam can talk like that for days. You could say to Sam, shut up. I don't want to hear another word about beer. And he still won't. That's a freak. And that is why Dogfish Head survives on what the beer industry calls the fourth door, you know, which is at the at the grocery store. There's basically the first three doors are like, you know, Anheuser-Busch, InBev and Miller Coors and all that. And then it's all the others. But Dogfish Head, who is this tiny little operation, is kicking butt because Sam is a freak, <laughs> not just a regular dude. Well, similar to obsession, a word we hear a lot these days uh, kicked around is passion. Our mutual friend, Jeff Goins, uh, has said passion trumps everything. And I've heard you say, or I read on your blog recently, that it's, it's not enough to be passionate necessarily. What else do we need? You need a framework. And th that's part of the reason I wrote the book, The Freak Show on Hair at the Earth. The reason I wrote it was because my son and my daughter are both wonderful, brilliant, artistic, creative souls who will never survive in a cubicle world. It just won't work. Uh, <laughs> neither one of them is built for it. Mm. And so they're both very passionate, but you know, passion alone just makes you a weirdo. You need like something to shore it up and have some kind of value in business. And it isn't to say that you can't just be a weirdo to be a weirdo. That's totally fine. But if you would like to be a weirdo and not have to live in mom's basement, there are some choices you have to make. And so there are a lot of freaks who struggle because they don't understand how to find the angle towards business value in what they're into, or they don't know how to weaponize something they're into for some other purpose. Like for instance, Jeff, you know, I never, when I was a little kid, I was never sitting around going, I would like to be a New York times bestselling business book author. Mm. What I said was I'd like to write comic books. I would love to write like, you know, Dr. Strange or Batman is my favorite. And, um, strangely Marvel and DC have not yet called me for that option. <laughs> and, I also found out, this is the really sad and interesting truth, is, you know, one author at Marvel could write six or seven or eight books and not really have much problem, meaning they just don't need very many writers. And it turns out they found out that they can get their artists now cheaper everywhere but the U.S. So that's why there's so many great new, you know, Vietnamese artists and really great Spanish artists that, you know, you're like, wow, you're giving that culture a choice. And I'm like, no, you're finding cheap labor. And so to me, Jeff, the, the other thing that's missing, you know, that passion isn't enough is you, you really need a business framework of some kind. You need a model and you need some sense of how are you going to weaponize your freakiness to deliver business value. I want to dig into this a little bit deeper. One of the things we touched on last time is this idea that the nature of work is changing more and more these days. Young people, especially, you mentioned your kids, need to be prepared to, to quote Timothy Ferris, kind of make your make your own game. And the reality is, as you say in the, in the book, why work for somebody else 
when you can craft a business built around your skills. Well, to quote Chris Brogan in his 2009 book, Trust Age. <laughs> He said, make your own game first, oh, Timothy. First. Okay. <laughs> Thanks for the clarification. So that's the first of the six tenets of a trust agent. <laughs> okay. So, Jeff Brown, I would say, quoting that sage author, Chris Brogan, who's, who knows Tim Ferriss. You know, I like that man. He's very nice. Um, I would say this. Uh, when people ask me the, the, the really depressing question of why are you this and that and why are you quote unquote internet famous in the social media world? I'm like, because well, I pretty much made up most of all this stuff. <laughs> like there was nothing. And I said, hey, hey, these are the rules. And everyone said, okay, those are the rules. And they followed. Humans love to find a groove and, and stay in it. Humans love to be told, here's where you should go. Mm. That's why there's lines on the road. You know, we technically should understand that our car should be on this side of the road and their car should be on that side of the road, but we don't. And we smash into cars if there's no lines. Mm. Um, you would think that we have the same visual acuity, uh, but what we want is we want bumpers on our universe. And so to be a freak, you have to decouple from what has been put in front of you already, and you have to put together the next thing. But then once you do that, you have to sort of make sure that everyone else sees how it fits and you need that sort of interface. Uh, most times, the thing we end up loving and needing in our life is the thing that no one ever would have thought was that. Meaning when the iPhone came, before the iPhone came, the only conversation about mobile phones was how many minutes and what was your coverage like. After the iPhone came, the only conversations were what apps do you get? Do you have? Mm. So we immediately became a society of humans who has a device in their hand almost all the time. I'm looking over at Jacqueline, she has her phone in her hand. <laughs> you know, we walk around that way. Uh, mobile devices are the new smoking. You come off an airplane and everyone's using their phone like a rabid fiend. So that's, you know, that was a new game that wasn't made. And what everyone thinks is that the iPhone was cool because it had apps. The iPhone was a distribution platform and it was a dif distribution platform that you willingly put in your pocket that allowed you to shake your wallet at it without any friction. And that was the game. Well, I, like a lot of folks, I was somebody who, you know, worked in the traditional workforce up until a little less than a year ago. And I often get asked, you know, how do you go about you know, leveraging things you already know uh, to earn an income, to make a living? And I know you cover this in, in the book. What are some of the basic first steps you tell people for turning uh, their passions into, into a viable, legitimate business? It's always never what you know, but what someone else needs that has to be your focal point. Okay. So uh, no one cares what I know. They say to me, well, I, I put out a pitch yesterday. I sent an email to a guy who runs a company and I, I said to him, hey, I want to create this content series for you where this is what the content will look like. Here's how it's going to drive you uh, signups for your event and here's how it's going to make you money. And so I want money up front for this because I'm going to do the work, but here's how it delivers value to your doorstep. What most people send is, hey, I'm pretty smart and I blog really well and I'm a good typist and I'm on the Twitters and so you should give me some money. And the guy goes, well, wh what? What do I get? I started with, here's how I'm going to make you some money. So now give me some money and then let's see how it goes. And that's that's a business transaction. So most times when we go to things like a grocery store, the grocery store products don't say we're the best and we're the best because we are smart and we know what we want, we've done. They say you deserve this or you should have this or here's how it makes your day better. And 
we have to sell from the buyer's side of the table is the most important thing you have to tell someone for how they can you know, harness what they know into something good. No one cares what you know. We're so worried that people think we're fakes and phonies and frauds. And we're so worried that our resume doesn't cover anything. No one cares. If some guy came to me today and said, look, if you just put $500 in my hand and I told you it's totally legal what I'm going to do, but I'll give you $2,000 in a few weeks, I would do it because that's what I want. I would like, yes, more money. That sounds great. Thanks. Go. Um, that's what we need to do. We need to show the deliverables and you know the benefits, not the features, as some people say. And I find that people trying to sell themselves do the worst job ever of that because they're still trying to prove that they're worth it. I needed to hear that. Thank you. What what do things like, uh, in your estimation, Chris, uh, Kickstarter and Square uh, mean for the future of business and other tools like them? Um, we don't need people to give us uh, permission anymore. If we think an idea is really good, I'll, I'll, I'm going to do my first Kickstarter. I've never done one before. And I've often kind of scoffed at people um, who have means who use Kickstarter because I'm like, you jerk. Uh, uh, why are you, you know, you've got the money. Why are you asking for other people's money? But I, now I get it because here's what exactly I'm going to do. I'm going to use it as a selling tool and I'm going to sell, uh, I'll, I'll tell you the project. I'm going to sell an alternate version of the audiobook for the freak shell and hair of the earth. I own all the audio rights. And so I'm going to do one where it's just me reading like everyone would expect. And I'm going to do one really fun with a lot of extra bonuses and stuff. And I'm going to put it up on Kickstarter. And so for 20 bucks, you could buy that one or you can go through audible or whatever and buy the original real one or whatever. And what it means is I get to ask the community directly if the project has merit and value and you get to say with your money, yes, I would pay for that. And I don't need anyone's permission. It means that I am the salesperson. Ditto with Square, uh, Square and all the tools that have come after it to kind of mimic those opportunities allow you to be the merchant. And you can go to a craft fair these days and find somebody who has Square to accept credit card payments so that you don't have to be the poor sap with cash only or the person paying like your bank 1500 bucks a month for the privilege of having a crappy old credit card reader. And so it's just allowing for you know, flawless you know, personal transactions, again, which equips freaks to do what they want. Things like Uber are that. Things like um, Airbnb are that. Airbnb is a freak enabler if ever there was one. Mm -hmm. There's a great story that Alex Franzen talks about about this guy who really wanted to get into the bed and breakfast business. And so his wife said, well, how about you just start with one room? They had a spare room in the house. He turned it into his micro bed and breakfast, put it up on Airbnb. And he did so well that they've converted a couple of buildings and show no signs of stopping. They're just having so much fun being their own bed and breakfast now. Well, as we begin this journey into what for many of us is brand new territory, uh, making our own game, as Chris Brogan is noted for saying, uh, <laughs> how do we best define success? Oh, uh, what a very good question. And there's an entire chapter dedicated to that in the book. I hate to be that guy, but I'm going to be that guy. <laughs> there's a whole chapter on it because it's amazing how many people tell me they're not successful. And when they explain to me what they're doing and how they're doing it, and what they've accomplished and all that, I'm like, I don't understand how you can't consider that success. M my simplest quote that I've ever come up with for success is that uh, success doesn't necessarily mean more money. Success means being able to say no to whatever you want to say no to. Um, every time in my life where I don't feel successful is when I have to be the whore and like beg for money or say yes to a project I don't want to do. That's, you know, when people have been out on their own running solo business, for instance, when they take the day job, it is their feeling of, you know, horrible defeat. They're like, oh, I have to go back to work. And to me, that, that does feel like the opposite of success, unless it's tactical, unless you've decided you're going to do it for six months, you like the healthcare benefits, have a nice day. But 
to me, success is being able to choose the projects you want to work on, being able to work as close to the the time frames that you want to work, where you want to work, in what sort of context. And and you can't have it all. I mean, it's amazing how many people tell me that they'd love to sit on an island and cash checks all day. And I, you know, I, Richard Branson doesn't do that. He runs 400 companies. He lives on an island and he has a lot of business meetings on his island. But, you know, he does actually have to get on planes and go places and do work just like everybody else. And so... I just feel that the most important part of success is having a really strong definition of it, though, because it's amazing how many people don't even know where they're headed. They're basically saying, my GPS is broken. I put it in my car, I plugged it in, and I'm looking at the map scroll by, but I don't seem to get where I'm going. And I say, so did you put in a destination? And they look at me like, what? (laughs) And to me, you you can't really say the GPS is broken unless you actually had a sense of destination to begin with. Mm. Uh, tell me about this this new term you've coined. Again, I'm looking at just a table of contents, so I don't know how much detail you go into this in the book. But <laughs> the employeepreneur, what does that mean? I stole that from James Altucher, ah. just like evidently Ferris stole from me. <laughs> so, um, in um, Choose Yourself, which is one of my favorite books ever, um, James Altucher writes The Altucher Confidential. Uh, he had this concept of employeepreneur. But basically, it's imagine you're at your desk. You have two choices. You could sort of be the sheep and just do the job, or you could be the kind of person who's pretty much running a business at your office. And that's how I used to work in my old companies. I stole it from Tom Peters from some kind of a CEO of yourself kind of a concept that he had said. Tom Peters got me in so much trouble uh, in the 90s because I would read his concepts and then immediately try to implement them. And they were always pretty counterproductive to most corporate structures. And so I loved it, except that when I first ever met him, I shook him and said, you caused me so many problems. So to me, that's what the employeepreneur does. They're the person who, so an entrepreneur is somebody who uh, accepts a level of risk to get certain rewards. Employeepreneurs look at their, their business inside the company that same way. Why should we welcome uh, obstacles and, and challenges, or as you say, actually worship them as they come our way? So it's amazing how many people find that the challenges are, are like they consider them the bad part, but to me, they're where you learn everything. So um, it's the obstacles and challenges that get in our way always give us a chance to to learn. I mean, we just hit at my company a, a budget deficit for the first time in the company's history. Like we went, you know, we're in the red this month. Mm-hmm. Now a lot of companies they're in the red for three or four years. Uh, we've always been in the black, so I'm like, oh, this is novel. We don't have any money. Um, so that's an obstacle. That's a challenge. That's, you know, who's not getting paid this month. And so what lets you worship it is that you work faster, you work better, you have a better chance of success if you don't sit around moaning about it. You just go, okay, now what do we do? We got to hit this. We got to go look for some kind of better options. We've got to see if anybody wants to front us some business uh, expense and then we'll pay it up, you know, as services rendered, those kinds of projects. And that's to me, Jeff, you know, leaders thrive better if they work that way. And a lot of times people, when they hit a, they hit a wall, they think, oh, it's over. And I think that that's why so many people take a toe in the water in entrepreneurship and then fail because they just never really understood what the, they don't understand that an obstacle or a challenge isn't the end of the story. It's the interesting chapter. As one of the uh, the following chapters uh, hints, it's sometimes not just a, an obstacle or a challenge. In fact, sometimes it's everything goes wrong. What what then? Uh, you know, it's amazing. When everything goes wrong, you have to do a few things. You have to apologize. There's, there's three A's that I got from the restauranting business. And it was acknowledge that something actually happened apologize for it, and then take an action. So as you and I are talking, an email hits my box and it's from somebody that we had to say, hey, we just had the worst month we've ever had in our history and we know we owe you money and we are not going to be able to pay you this month. And we love you and we are going to pay you 
and we're so very sorry. So we acknowledge that there's a problem. We apologize that there's a problem and we explain what the steps are that what we're going to do going next. So that's the deal. Well, I've got uh, conflicting information. I think your blog says uh, March 17th for a launch date. I think um, Amazon says March 28th. What are we looking at for the actual launch date of the book? Um, you know, I sent an I sent an email to my publishers at Wiley uh, because I had been told March seventeenth, but it's it's just as likely that um, something I did probably pushed it out a week or something. So the pre orders are going strong. There's a lot of nice uh, feeling in that because pre orders tell other published uh, sorry other distributors, hey, we should probably get some more of this book. Uh, so feel free to grab it now. But yeah, anytime, evidently between now and Easter, so uh, sometime, sometime in the Lenten season, depending on your religion. Yeah, certainly available for, for, for pre-order right now at Amazon, if nothing else. And as always, we'll put a link in the show notes. And I know that last month you offered up to five opportunities to, to purchase uh, 300 copies of the book plus travel and you'd waive your uh, speaking fee. Are, are, are all of those taken or are any, any of those remain? Funny you should ask. We sold all those in two days, I was pretty pleased to say. <laughs> oh, wow. um, but we decided, well, maybe we could do five more. So mm. we, we still have sort of an opportunity. So yeah, my speaking fee in the US starts at 15000 and only goes up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and overseas, it's even more. And so to buy 300 books is just about 6000 bucks, And then you owe me airfare and hotel. So it is really insignificant compared to my speaking fee to get me to speak on this particular deal. And so should any of the listeners of your show, Jeff, want to take advantage of that, just uh, drop an email, chris at ownermag.com, and I will gladly chat, chat you up about the option. Awesome. What are you uh, reading lately, uh, Chris, that you're really enjoying? Wow. I just finished two books I really liked, and one of them I've I've com- I've just praised it every single day. It's Talk Like Ted by Carmine Gallo, and Carmine's a professional communications expert who did a lot of research and science uh, on how TED Talks work, and I found that book really helpful to my speaking ideas. Uh, and then the other book that I really love, and I'll get a chance to interview this gentleman uh, this month or I guess early next month, is Mark Devine uh, wrote a book called The Way of the Seal. Mark was a former U.S. Navy SEAL, which is one of their special operations units, and uh, also did their officer school. And also, I think, did a head of training or something like that for the Navy SEALs. And he's taken a lot of what he learned there and distilled it into what you know business people and leaders in general could could get from it. And it's a what it ends up being is a book very heavily about mental toughness. And I've, I'm fascinated by the book. And I'm doing a lot of the exercises in the book every day. And it's changed a lot of how things are going for me. Well, we just had uh, Carmine on uh, two weeks ago, in fact, uh, the day his book came out, and it quickly became uh, one of the most uh, downloaded episodes of the podcast so far, until until today, of course, and that all will change. Chris, it has been a, a true joy to have you back on. It's great to have you on the first time, let alone the second, and I'm really excited about the new book and look forward to reading it. And uh, as always, we wish you nothing but continued success. You're very kind, Jeff. I really enjoy it. Thanks for having me on. It means so much to me. I think you can see now why I can recommend a book from Chris Brogan, Sight Unseen. I'm looking forward to The Freaks Shall Inherit the Earth. And understand, this is a rare exception. I have never done this before for the Read to Lead podcast, and don't suspect I'll be making a habit of doing that, but felt Chris warranted that exception. With what I know about Chris, the fact he's been on the show before, and I've read five of his six previous books, and highly recommend all of them. I'm confident this book will be a winner. Since chatting with Chris, I've learned that the launch date for the book is sometime around early April. But as we mentioned, you can pre-order it right now at Amazon or anywhere your favorite books are sold. Feel free to reach out to Chris and connect on Twitter at Chris Brogan on Twitter. Be sure to mention the Read to Lead podcast when you do. And everything you need to know about Chris, all the 
pertinent links to his outposts on the web, all the things we talked about, the books he referenced. You'll find links to each and every one of those in the show notes for today's episode. Just remember the number 36. It goes like this, readtoleadpodcast.com slash that part never changes, 036. Readtoleadpodcast.com slash 036 for the show notes to today's episode. Don't forget our sponsor, Podcaster Academy, Read to Lead Podcast. Dot com slash academy. Not only can you save $100 with that discount code READ, if you sign up with a friend, another podcaster, the second registration is 50% off and you still get to use that discount code. And finally, if you could do one thing for me, I would greatly appreciate it if you would rate and review the podcast if you haven't done that already. This helps keep it visible uh, and helps people find it who haven't yet found it. If you happen to give it a five-star rating and leave a review so I know who you are, I'll be sure and mention your name in an upcoming episode is a small way to say thanks. To rate and review the podcast, just visit Read to Lead podcast.com slash iTunes or read to lead podcast.com slash Stitcher. Thanks, by the way, to Ron Whitler, who left a five-star review in iTunes. He says, listen up. This is a must hear. Thank you, Ron. Well, that's going to do it for this week's episode. I hope to see you next time on the Read to Lead podcast. Thanks so much for listening to the Read to Lead podcast. As a subscriber, we challenge you to be more than just a passive listener. Become a vital member of the community. Visit us on the web at readtoleadpodcast.com and chat with other members at facebook.com slash readtoleadnation. Until next time, remember, leaders read and readers lead. Secret safe in my hands. Tell me about the years and let me buy an hour and maybe help me to understand. Oh, ain't nobody calling, ain't nobody home. What a lovely day to be lonely. You're holding on for life, you're holding on for life. You're holding on for love You're holding on for life You're holding on for life, love You're holding